Welcome to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com, the show that's dedicated to saving you money on buying and owning a vehicle. Now, here's your host, Rick Popley. Welcome to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks, where each week we help you make smarter choices about buying and owning a vehicle and save money. And thanks to Gene Stern of TalkZone and the Cars, Trucks, and Bucks Garage Band for that stirring introduction. Hello, everyone. I'm Rick Popley, your host and proprietor. Glad you can join us today. We are back on the air after a winter hibernation that started in late November. Winter is far from over here in the still-frozen Chicago area, and it's snowing again today. But there's just too much going on in the auto industry to remain snuggled under a blanket until spring. And now that we're almost midway through the 2014 model year, it is a good time to review the class of 2014 to see which new vehicles are the cream of the crop and which of the others warrant your attention. To help us sort the winners from the rest of the pack, my guest today is Patrick Olson, Editor-in-Chief of Cars.com, one of the most comprehensive websites for information on new and used vehicles, auto-related news, shopping advice, and much more. Patrick will discuss the Best of 2014 awards recently announced by Cars.com, how some key new models fared in recent comparison tests, and share other insights into the world of wheels. But before we bring Patrick onto the show, here is this week's auto news you might be able to use. You will have more choices about where you can get your car repaired in the future, even if you own a late model vehicle with the latest technology. Auto manufacturers and repair shops have agreed to an arrangement that requires automakers to make the same vehicle repair information they currently provide to dealers available to all repair shops. Auto repair chains such as Sears, Firestone, and Pep Boys, and independent repair shops like Joe's A1 Auto Repair down the street will be able to purchase diagnostic tools, trouble codes, and other repair information from the automakers. Much of this information currently is available only to dealers. This national agreement, patterned after a law passed in Massachusetts last year, will take effect for the 2018 model year. When it does, you would still have to take your car to a dealer for warranty repairs, but more repair shops should be able to make non-warranty repairs on a wider range of vehicles. Toyota has disclosed more about the next-generation Prius Hybrid, which is due to arrive during the 2015 calendar year. At a recent event in Japan, Toyota executives said they want at least some versions of the next Prius to use lithium-ion batteries. All Prius models currently use nickel-metal hydride batteries, which are less powerful, larger, and heavier than lithium-ion. However, lithium-ion batteries are more expensive, and trade publication Automotive News quoted Toyota executives as saying that cost is still a concern. Toyota engineers say they are targeting a fuel economy improvement of at least 8%. That would increase the combined city-highway EPA rating for the Prius to at least 54 miles per gallon from the current 50 mpg. If history is a guide... Toyota tends to deliver more than it promises, so don't be surprised if the next Prius has even higher fuel economy. On this show on September 26, we discussed the controversial practice by car dealers of increasing the interest rate on loans they arrange for their customers. Basically, when a bank tells a dealer they can lend X amount of dollars to Joe Blow for a new car at 5% interest, the dealer can increase the interest rate by 1, 2, even 3 percentage points, maybe more, and keep that money as profit. So instead of paying the 5% interest for which they qualify, the consumer may wind up paying a lot more. And in some states, dealers don't have to tell you they're doing that, even if you ask. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau a federal agency that regulates banks and other lenders, claims this practice can lead to discrimination in lending to minorities, women, and the elderly who might pay more than others. 
Dealers in turn have claimed they do not discriminate, but until recently they've resisted any limits on what they can charge for arranging loans for their customers. That stance changed at the recent convention of the National Automobile Dealers Association. The NADA recommended that dealers place a cap on the percentage they add to the interest rate and never exceed that cap. If the cap was, say, 1.5%, dealers could charge some customers less than that, but not more. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is reviewing this recommendation to determine if it would address discriminatory lending practices. In the meantime, if you are shopping for a new or used vehicle, you should shop for a loan somewhere other than a dealership. That way, when the dealer tells you they were able to get you a great interest rate, you'll know how great it really is. You can learn more about this subject by listening to the September 26th episode of Cars, Trucks, and Bucks here on TalkZone.com. It's called The Lone Arranger. And that is this week's auto news you might be able to use. There are a number of websites that provide prices, reviews, photos, and other information about new cars and trucks. But one of the most comprehensive sites is Cars.com, based here in Chicago. Cars.com also is one of the more family-focused auto information sites and one that looks at the practical aspects of buying and owning a vehicle. Instead of just how fast or how good a car looks, Cars.com assesses how useful it is for the everyday driving that a family or individual might do. Cars.com also is unique for conducting child seat checks on all passenger vehicles it tests here in Chicago, a valuable service for parents and parents-to-be. Joining me today is Patrick Olson, the editor-in-chief at Cars.com, who directs the automotive coverage by a staff of about 20 journalists. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Thanks, Rick. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. Patrick, Cars.com recently announced its Best of 2014 awards. and Can you explain how you decide which vehicles qualified for that award and how you went about picking a winner? Sure. So what we do, Rick, is we're always looking every year for what's been redesigned or introduced into the car market. And so for us, we have our best of awards and what we call our lifestyle awards. Um, and for us, the best of cars are just that pool of redesigned or introduced cars. And so, you know, we've got, like you said, a staff of around 20 journalists. And so about seven or eight of those um, men and women are reviewing cars year-round. And so we get in virtually every one of those 65 to 70 new cars every year. And based on all that seat time from all those people, we honestly take a one day in November, and it's a very long, uh, argumentative, um, pointed, but ultimately, uh, you know, fruitful discussion that lets us pick the six best cars of the year. And from those six, then after some more debates and arguing about making sure that our choice is key to our mission, then choosing our best of car for the year. Great. And 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 who are the six uh, finalists this year? So um, our six finalists in alphabetical order was uh, the Acura MDX, the uh, SU, luxury SUV, the Chevy Impala, full-size sedan, the Hyundai Santa Fe, full-size SUV, the Kia Forte, uh, compact sedan, the Mazda 3, compact hatchback, and the Mazda 6, mid-size sedan. And the winner was? <laughs> the winner was and is the Chevy Impala. Which, uh, which, uh, when it came out, it got good reviews at a lot of places, including Consumer Reports. What, what did you like about uh, this car? Well, I think there's a lot of things we liked about it, not the least of which it was really a dramatic change for Chevy. You know, in terms of the previous Impala was sort of a uh, a fleet mainstay, very much something you'd find in rental lots, but not a lot of actual shoppers buying them. But, you know, it's an incredibly roomy car. The level of interior quality is significantly higher than, than the outgoing, and frankly, is pretty much now the flagship for interiors for uh, Chevrolet sedans. So we were very impressed with that. You know, we we don't put a lot of stock into looks because beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. Um, but for most people, I think they would definitely find the Impala a pretty striking car. The front end uh, has a nose that's a little bit reminiscent of the Camaro. The, the back end's more tapered, and the whole thing has an energy and a, a dynamic look that you know, Chevy, frankly, hasn't had in anything but the Camaro for for quite some time. Right, and, and of the list of finalists, I guess if there were surprises for me, it was the two Mazdas. What, what does Mazda 
doing uh, right these days. And for those who don't follow the industry, uh, Mazda's a pretty small player. To have two in that uh, uh, group of finalists, I think, is pretty significant. Oh, I, I absolutely agree. Um, I think what they're doing is a couple things. Is One, they're creating drivetrains that are still giving you a reasonably enjoyable driving performance, but getting great MPG. For example, the Mazda 6, I drove uh, for a weekend, and at one point I was driving with four adults in the car, and we were getting 34 miles per gallon, but it was still a blast to drive. Yeah. And it's hard for a car that size to drive that well and get that return that good of mileage. I see. And um you know, one of the uh, uh, surprises for me uh, is absent from that list is the Toyota Corolla, which also was redesigned for 2014, significantly different uh, styling yep. and uh, larger interior. What what was uh, what happened with the Corolla? So for us, I think I, a lot of us thought that the Corolla made some huge improvements, in, particularly in styling both exterior and the interior was much improved. Unfortunately, the drive experience was not much improved, and mm. we find it kind of a kind of gutless, which is not unusual in a car that size, trying to get that kind of mileage. But the Mazda 3, for example, gets pretty decent mileage, pretty close mileage to that, but provides a more enjoyable driving experience, right? Mm-hmm. And so while the Corolla was definitely a, a big, big step up from the previous generation, um, in some of the key areas like drivability, it just fell short. Was it the, uh, don't they use a continuously variable transmission? Was that part of the issue? Or is it- um, that didn't bother us as much as it has in other cars. Um, there are definitely other cars out there. Like when we tested the Corolla in the fall in one of our challenges for compact cars, um, we also tested the uh, Subaru um, Impreza, and that was had an incredibly loud CVT that was really kind of annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Corolla CVT didn't bother us that way, but it was... The steering is still a little bit adrift, you know. There's a lot of corrections you've got to make, um, and it's just it's just underwhelming in terms of a, a driving performance. That uh, uh, you mentioned a challenge, uh, which you group uh, similar cars like compact yes. cars or midsize SUVs, and uh-huh. get five or six of them, and you do a kind of a, a face-off. Yes, exactly right. How do you how do you do those? So it's uh... so we try to do one of those every quarter. So last year we did um, we did uh, performance sports sedans in uh, in March. We did midsize SUVs in uh, June. We did full size sedans, and in fact the Impala won that challenge in mm-hmm. August. And then we did compact cars in October. And our and our idea is we always set a a standard price. So it's always got to be below a certain price, including the destination charge, and usually has to achieve a certain level of uh, combined mileage to make our final cut because in some categories like combat cars, we could have had 14 cars there, but in effort to draw the ones that we think are going to be the best value to consumers, we draw a line at the price. We draw a line at the gas mileage so that we can give these cars a kind of uh, due diligence that they require. Now, uh, one of the finalists of the, for your uh, best of 2014 was a Kia Forte, yes. which won that compact car comparison, it, correct? It did. It was really kind of impressive. I hadn't been much of a fan of the previous generation Forte because mm-hmm. uh, I found it kind of cramped. And for a guy my size, I'm six one and yeah, pounds. And <laughs> I found it a little difficult to get uh, in and out of and then, frankly, to get my head up straight when there was a sunroof. But in the new Forte, it was much roomier mm-hmm. and it was really a, a lot of fun to drive. And of course, Kia and Hyundai are both really good at packing a lot of value for the money into the car. So there's a fair amount of features for the price. Um, and, you know, it was interesting, The uh, our family, uh, we had a woman who was looking for a compact car, and she picked the Santa Fe in that class, or not the Santa Fe, excuse me, the Elantra in that class, but it came down to her just between the Forte and the Elantra, and so I think the Koreans are making big strides in giving people that sense of value for their dollar. Okay. Patrick, we have to uh, pause here for a short break, but uh, when we come back, I'd like to continue talking about your comparison tests and kind of the best of... 2014 awards. Absolutely. Stay with us, please. We'll be back shortly. Welcome back to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com. Here's Rick Popley. Welcome back, everyone. 
My guest is Patrick Olson, Editor-in-Chief of Cars.com, an automotive information site that provides vehicle reviews, prices, shopping advice, and a broad range of other helpful information. And as the name implies, they can be found online at Cars.com. If you have a question or comment, the phone lines are open. You can join the conversation by calling 888-463-6748. That's 888-463-6748. Before the break, Patrick, we were talking about uh, some of your comparison tests, and you mentioned Kia and Hyundai in the same breath. And uh, Hyundai is the parent company that owns a controlling interest in Kia, but I believe they remain separate companies. And uh, the Kia Forte and, and, and the Hyundai Elantra were both in that compact car comparison test. How do they differ, or are they the same? Well, you know, it's interesting. There are some people who think that they're you know, really kind of just rebadged cars, but the Kia and Hyundai people take a lot of pride and are almost uh, – it's almost fighting words to them to consider them the same, <laughs> the same folks. But it, uh, we've definitely seen that Kia has tried in the past to, um, well, first of all, they have definitely different design language, right? I think Kia mm-hmm. is much more aggressive. They're they're aiming to be more youthful, more Audi-like. The uh, Peter Shire is their designer who used to work for Audi, and you can see that kind of shine through in a lot of their designs. Hyundai's more family-oriented, um, softer lines, swooping lines, and so design-wise, there's some differences, but also in the drivetrain. Kia is, uh, has typically been, been a firmer kind of ride than Hyundai, um, a little more aggressive in how uh, acceleration is tuned, things like that. Um, but but underneath, they both really use kind of the same powertrains. And so any differences they get there tend to be fairly minor, but it's a lot of it is in the tuning of how the cars work and feel. Okay. And, and in that uh, compact car comparison test, the uh, Forte was number one, one, one test or the yes. comparison. Elantra was second? That's correct. And, I mean, they're beating out cars such as the Honda Civic and Toyota Corolla, which is pretty significant. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, Honda, um, really, when they, with the 2013 Civic, had gone back after what was really a lackluster redesign in 2012, just a year later came back out with some really significant updates to the Civic for 2013 as a response to fear that they weren't keeping up with the market, including the Elantra um and so for them to still beat out uh, Honda after that, I think was uh, was a pretty good uh, testament to what the Koreans are doing right. Hmm. Uh, so should be taken seriously. Oh, absolutely. I think and that, you know, one of the things we find when we do these shootouts is we always bring in a um, a family to be one of our judges. So we have uh, judges from us and USA Today and Motor Week, but we always bring in a real-life family. And it's kind of surprising to me in this day and age still – how many of them have not considered at all Hyundai or Kia in their in their purchase process? But in our last three challenges that we did, the compact car, midsize um, SUV, and full size sedan, the real live buyer, as it were, picked the Hyundai as their choice. Hmm. Um, even though the Hyundai didn't ultimately win the any of those challenges, they certainly placed well in all three of them. Well, you know, on 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 a related subject, I've noticed that in your comparison tests, Toyotas typically don't do well. I mean, I, I, I looked in, in, in the uh, $38,000 sedan challenge that the yep. Chevy Impala won. The Toyota Avalon was fifth. The Corolla in the compact car challenge was fifth. Yep. That's pretty far down the list. What What's what's the Toyota doing wrong? Well, so I think uh, there's a few things going on. I think, one, I think they're living a little bit on their reputation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, their reliability has been great for decades, and that really doesn't seem to be much of an issue. Right. What's more of an issue, though, is I think they've looked for ways to increase the profitability of their cars by um, trying to spend less on the interior of their cars, and, frankly, by do- spending less on research and development for their mainstays. So, like, the Camry has not had a lot of changes over the last years. The last redesign was one of their more successful ones, but the one immediately before that was pretty mild. And I think they're doing with Camry sort of what Ford did with Taurus in the 90s, which is, oh, this thing's doing great. We don't need to change it. <laughs> and and there's a pivot point where the audience says, well, forget it. Now it looks dated and old, and you know, mm-hmm. there's something shinier in my field of vision that I'm going to go chasing. And I, I think that's the danger that Toyota runs here is – by just assuming that they'll always do well and not making significant changes to what they're doing, they run a risk of, of falling behind. Corolla is a good example. Looked a lot better inside and out, but still had those, that poor 
driving performance underneath and still, frankly, has a four, uh, four-speed transmission. Um, in one version, other than right. the, not the CVT, but in the other version, and in today's world, a four-speed transmission is like you know having a telegraph hooked up to your car. You know, it's just <laughs> not it's not the best thing to have. I see. Yeah, you know, and and you mentioned that um, uh, the consumers that part you have participate in your comparisons may not have previously considered something like Hyundai or Kia, one of the Korean brands, but I assume that Toyota is probably higher on their radar screen. Absolutely. In fact, yeah, they all come in. Many of them, you know, either own or know about Toyota and know a lot about Toyota, you know, and they're often now part of the issue for Toyota this year is like in our midsize SUV, we did the Venza, which is a pretty dated version, you know, and uh, both car reviewers and the in-market shoppers that we bring to these challenges definitely like the newer things because you get more, we get more high Mm -hmm. technology, you get newer technology, you get some cool new features. And so things that are redesigned, more recently, often wind up, you know, better. Now, on the flip side, the Avalon was totally redesigned um, in time for our challenge. And while it looked great, again, it, it suffered from a poor driving experience. Uh, you know, it just it was a uh, the experts and reviewers were not uh, were not thrilled with it. So um, it's you know that's what I think Toyota's going to really work on is, is going back to when they had cars like you know the original Rav4 was totally distinctive and it's become a lot more anonymous over the years. They mm-hmm. used to have things like the Celica and the Supra that really stood out, you know, and now those um, cars are all gone. They're doing the mainstream stuff, but they're not getting into more things that are more visually or driving dynamic wise interesting. Now uh, the uh, head of Toyota Motor Corporation, Akio Toyota, the grandson of the founder, has decreed that uh, they have to make their cars more visually appealing in the future. He says uh, that no longer can they make things hoping that everybody will like it. Well, I think he's dead right. I mean, I think the problem for Ford for a long time was they were trying to not offend anyone, mm-hmm. and that hurt them. And I think Ford's resurgence is due in large part that they came together with a design language, if you will, that has worked for them. You know, it's not not everyone sold on it, not everyone loves it, but it's helping Ford sell more cars. And when you try to be everything to everyone, you wind up being a lump of, you know, vanilla oatmeal. And, you know, you're just not going to appeal to everyone when nothing stands out. You know, when it all looks like blobs of metal, it's just not going to get there. And I think what's interesting is the Toyota, you know, sort of video game-esque concept they had in Detroit talks about both where they could go, and also where they've been with things like the Silicon Supra, but the chance of them actually producing that, you know, I don't think it's going to get there. Huh. That'll be interesting to watch. You know, one, one other thing, not not that this is a, to bash Toyota, but um, I think their sales, their overall sales increase in, here in the U.S. in 2013 was less than the industry average of 8%. I, I believe that's the case. You know, you would think that a you know rising tide lifts all boats, right? But it didn't lift uh, Toyota as high as the others. And one of the other things that they've struggled with is the um, crash test results. Yes. On vehicles, you know, uh, tested by the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. I think the Camry, uh, I believe, Consumer Reports withdrew its recommendation on the Camry and at least one version of the Prius because of those poor crash test results so it's not just the styling no 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 absolutely not. although i think that they've reworked the camry to to do better in the small overlap test with ihs and actually consumer report says i think since then has restored their recommendation for it but i i still think you're you're dead on in that it it's not just a styling issue it's a you know they need to invest in new transmissions because they're going to create a better drive experience for the consumer mm-hmm. and give them better gas mileage at the same time. You know, I'm not sure they need to go quite, quite the way of Chrysler with, you know, nine speed transmissions, but certainly you got to get better than four. Okay. Speaking of the nine speed transmission, <laughs> uh, the, the Jeep Cherokee, I, uh, and, and uh, I just drove one and I was highly impressed with a lot of things about that vehicle, including the fact that it was a, uh, what a trail Hawk model, an off road yeah. capable version of the Cherokee, yet the on-road refinement did not suffer as a result. What, what's uh, Cars.com's conclusion on the new Cherokee? Well, I think we've liked it a lot. I mean, I think we definitely like the interior quality, and Klaus Busse, who is doing uh, a lot of the interiors for the Chrysler products, is really knocking them out of the park. The new Durango, the, the Cherokee, they're really very, they feel very much um, 
uh, more refined than, than, frankly, you would have expected from Chrysler five years ago. Mm-hmm. And they're doing a good job of also putting in a fair amount of content for the money. So I think those are both great. The thing with Cherokee is watching that nine-speed transmission. We know that there were some lags in on the production line and getting it out the door because there were questions about that transmission. Two months. Um, yeah. yeah, right. I mean, that was and that was two months. They didn't need that car to be delayed, right? They've they have not played in that compact SUV space very well in forever. Mm-hmm. You know, the Patriot, the Compass, really not impressive vehicles. And so, this is a chance to get it right. And I'm with you. I when I I particularly like the V6, the V4. I find to be um, a little bit Gutless, you know. I, mm-hmm. I I prefer the V6, um, but as a as a daily driver, it sure seems like it would be nice. I'd like to get some more time into it um, going forward to to make sure that my thoughts are not just limited to the to the short since I've had in it. Right. The uh, uh, thing I would worry about with the Cherokee is that it's a it's a new design, new engines. Yeah. New transmission, new four-wheel drive systems. Right, what could go wrong? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know, and and uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd suggest people wait until the 2015 models, maybe yep. later. But but I mean, it, it out of the box, you have to. I have to say is that compared to like you mentioned the, the Compass and Patriot, its predecessors. Wow, what a change! Yeah. What an improvement. Oh, totally. And, I, and yeah. you know, the, the looks of it are a little polarizing. I, there are people who I know who love it, and there are people I know who re- recoil at it. But particularly the Trailhawk is a stunning vehicle. You mm-hmm. know, it's the black on black. Um, it's pretty cool. You know, and you mentioned the off-road thing. When I find a museum, I don't know if you've seen their TV ads where they show the uh, the Trailhawk going through some water in a stream, right? No, I and haven't seen that. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so they show it going through a stream in the mountains somewhere, and then there's a disclaimer that says, you know, do not ford more than 20 inches of water, you know, and I'm, mm-hmm. it's just a little bit kind of silly of, you know, <laughs> try not to get the car wet. We really don't, we really don't recommend that, you know, yeah. but uh, I think that, I think there's a real potential there, but that's a really competitive class. The CRV, the RAV4, um, the Tucson, the Sportage, there are a lot of great cars in that in that segment that sell really well. And for them to steal shoppers over, they're going to have to do something pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Jeep does seem to have a loyal following of, particularly of off-road enthusiasts. And I don't know how many of them there are anymore. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, clearly the Wrangler is still far and away the, the king of the off-road crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know how many of them are looking for this kind of decked out, you know, really kind of high-end SUV. So it'll be interesting to see if they're winning those guys over to do more to get into this thing, or if they're going to win over more of the people who are who want something a little more rugged than a RAV4 or a CRV. Okay. We, we have to pause for another break here, uh, Patrick, but when we come back, uh, I'd like to ask or have you think about, are there any real disappointments among the new vehicles for 2014? Okay? okay. All right. Yep. Please stay with us. We'll be back with Patrick Olson of Cars.com. Now, more cars, trucks, and bucks on TalkZone.com with your host, Rick Popley. Today, we're talking about the best of the new and redesigned vehicles for 2014 with Patrick Olson, Editor-in-Chief of Cars.com, a website with comprehensive information for car owners and anyone shopping for a new or used vehicle. If you have a question or comment, the phone lines are open. You can join the conversation by calling 888-463-6748. That's 888-463-6748. In the, uh, for my listeners here, in the interest of uh, full disclosure and transparency, I am a regular contributor to cars.com. Uh, I also contribute to other websites and uh, news sites, so it's not my uh, exclusive, uh, uh, outlet, but, uh, one of the things that, uh, because I do a lot of work for cars.com, I'm quite familiar with their site. And one of the features that I've always found very handy, Patrick, is the vehicle recommender in which somebody can go online and call up the recommender and pick a car or vehicle based on a price range, fuel economy, engine size, other major features. Where did you come up with that? 
Uh, we've actually had that on the site for a while, and um, it's actually, at this point, um, kind of one of our older features, but uh, it's definitely one that we know in the next, I think, year to two years we're going to beef up because it's. you're right, it's a great way to say, you know, I need to have at least six seats because I've got a few kids, and but I want to make sure I get at least, you know, 25 miles per gallon, and I'm hoping to see if there's a starting price of under, you know, 35 grand, and it will spit back to you all the cars that match all of those requirements. And it makes really shopping for a car a lot easier, a lot, a lot more simple um, by taking out the guesswork. And you don't have to go to each car and sort of write down the specs one by one and, and compare on your own. It allows us to compare it for you. And actually, one of the great tools we have on the site is a compare tool where you can literally just go and pick um, either three trims of the same car and see what the differences are or pick three different cars and compare them and see how they, you know, which ones are doing better, which ones are doing worse. Um, it makes that that comparison process much easier. Yeah, and and with the uh, vehicle recommender, I, I found uh, vehicles that I said, "Gee, I hadn't thought of that one." You know, it's a, it, it was very uh, very handy. I encourage people who go on your site to uh, to use that. So, yeah, what's really interesting, Rick, is that we've done some research that says that a fair number of the users who come to cars. dot com are people who've not been in the market for more than five years, mm-hmm. and the issue for them, to your point about cars that you wouldn't even think of, they don't really know what's in the landscape today. They wouldn't know a Buick Encore if you you know if you dropped it in front of them because it was they wasn't there the last time they were looking, you know. And so many models and brands have come and gone in the last decade that there's a lot of confusion about what's out there what's good, what's not, and, you know, one of the goals of ours is we never want to drive people to one specific car because, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much that's about you as a person that determines what car you want, but we want to say there's a pool of cars here that you should really consider because they're the best at value, they're the best at gas mileage, they're the best at reliability, so here's what, here's a pool you should start your search at and then winnow down from that. Okay, and um, before, before the uh, last break, uh, we were talking about you know, some of the best new vehicles of 2014. Are there any that uh, you would consider a disappointment or falling short? I know previously we, you know, the Toyota Corolla was one that didn't uh, didn't perform well in your test. Any others that uh, you would view as disappointments? Sure. One of the ones we talked about before, you know, the Avalon is one of those ones that we we definitely felt was, you know, it looked great. We were really excited from a from a looks point of view. But when we drove it in our uh, challenge, it just it just fell flat. You know, the the driving experience. Some of our experts noted a metal on metal grating noise that didn't go over well for us. Um, hitting bumps, it was very unsettled after hitting bumps. Um, mm-hmm. And not everyone liked the the new sort of uh, the touchscreen capacitive buttons for a lot of the stuff. That was some of the turnoffs for us. So that was you know I had gone to the do our challenge. I'm not a I'm not a voter. I'm more of a organizer, and I kind of thought that would do much better than it did. But the the judges, both the family and our expert judges, didn't care for that. Um, you know, it's sort of in the same vein. What's interesting about every year when we see all these new redesigned cars, almost universally they're a step forward from where they were, and that's you know. So it's whenever we read something like the Avalon or the Corolla that falls short of that, it's a Sometimes a little surprising, but one of the biggest disappointments I think is the new Mitsubishi Mirage. We're really, really not uh, pretty far down on that. Jennifer Geiger, one of our reviewers, wrote about it, um, and she thought that Mirage was an appropriate name. She said, "Once you dr- <laughs> once you drive it, you hope it disappears." And, um, it's just this is a know. new, small, uh, inexpensive uh, car. Uh, yes, it's, yeah, it starts at starting price. It's just under thirteen grand, um, but it's just it's not. Com- not very competitive mm. in that set. You know, we're not big on the Nissan Versa, which is uh, sort of at that same price point, but it's still, by comparison, I would take the Versa every day of the week over it. Huh. Um, and Mitsubishi needs to do something in this country to to re-energize what they're doing, or they're going to go the way of Suzuki, which left the U.S. market, because right. they just don't have competitive models. Um, the build quality is just not very good. And everybody across the board, you know, um, uh, you know, Toyota Yaris is actually pretty well built compared to this thing. So they've really got to get their act together if they're going to stick around. No, there's a shocking statement. <laughs> the, the, no, I just, uh, every now and then I go through my notes on test cars I've driven in the last couple of years, and yep. one of those that sticks out with like a sore thumb is the Yaris. That was a real disappointment. That was, yeah. I thought, very crude. But, and, yep. and you're saying the Mirage is down in that 
area? Well, I think yeah, I think that the the Yaris is a is a well considered vehicle compared to the Mirage. You know, okay. uh, we thought the Mirage had a crude powertrain, a cut rate cabin, unpleasant road manners, and you know it doesn't matter how cheap it is, it's it's never going to be as cheap as it feels. Right. Uh, you know, uh, Mitsubishi has been hanging on to the U.S. market by a thread for about ten years now. Yeah. It really yep. uh, you, you have to wonder how much longer they're going to stick it out here. Well, because, you know, part of the issue I've discovered with automakers, I've talked to them about, like, truck ads and, and sporting events. You see a gazillion, and I'm like, do you really need to have all that advertised? And they say, well, look, we could take all that out, and then we would watch our sales plummet. And so, like them or not, and pay attention to or not, advertising works. And hmm. for Mitsubishi, not having that marketing budget and also not producing cars that are competitive, it's, you know, it's a one-two punch um, right. towards steps towards oblivion here. Right, right. They're, uh, they are competing with some deep pockets, you know. Yes, Places absolutely. like Toyota and GM and Honda. Right. And, um, you know, I just uh, uh, a thought from our conversation here is that I don't know that uh, many of the new vehicles for 2014 were major breakthroughs in fuel economy. The Mazda 3, Mazda 6, there's a couple of good examples, yep. but you're not seeing these big jumps the last couple of years, it seems like. Well, I think, you know, I, I do think, though, that we're seeing enough movement in uh, naturally aspirated engines that I'm not ready to give up on them yet and even and even gains in that, right? And some hybrid technology. The Prius C, for example, I think is a lot better than the Prius. I find it to be a lot quieter, a lot more refined um, interior. I just find it overall nicer than the regular Prius, to which you alluded earlier in the show, a new one's coming soon. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they're still making some gains in gas, um, and especially if they can get a, you know, what would you say, a... Uh, Five percent or eight percent improvement on right. the gas economy for the Prius—that's a pretty big improvement. People may not understand that, but that's hundred bucks a year that you can save if you put, you know, fifteen thousand miles on a car. That's going to mean something to mm-hmm. you. Yeah, when you're at fifty miles per gallon now, it's kind of hard to make a big jump beyond yeah, right. that. You know? <laughs> I mean, they're they're still at the you know top of the heap on that. Right. So, well, but, and you know what, what's funny? The pickup trucks are actually doing a pretty good job of of getting better at gas mileage. You know, we tested uh, last summer. We did a light duty challenge in Detroit, and the GMC returned in a combination of uh, of city streets and highways. Although it was more highways, we got like twenty three miles per gallon. That may not sound like much, but five years ago that would have been sixteen, sixteen, seventeen for that same drive. Mm-hmm. And those are huge. Percentage gains. It may not sound like a lot on paper, but when you have to drive a truck for long distances, they're getting some, you know, the Ford EcoBoost engines, the Chevy's got some new engines, the light duty Ram has done some nice jobs with the eight speed transmissions in the trucks. And I, they're, they're definitely making gains more in the bigger engines than in the smaller ones. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, next week's show is going to be about the uh, 2015 Ford F-150, which I think most people have heard is going to be made out of uh, aluminum. The body will yes. be aluminum alloy. And uh, that was uh, certainly the big news at the Detroit Auto Show was the introduction of that truck, a preview. Yes. Yeah. What, uh, um, and, and that, uh, you know, they say up to 700 pounds lighter than current models. That's got to put the fuel economy in the upper 20s, you would think. Well, you'd think that, although they're, they're pretty cautious to, to, <laughs> to not... Uh, Make that clear yeah. as shit. And, 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 you know, Once burned, twice shy. That's right. <laughs> yeah, for those who don't know, Ford uh, had to reduce the gas mileage on the C-Max hybrid. Yeah, C- yeah yep. it, uh, because they overstated it. So Yeah. No, I think they're definitely a little later. That. And, of course, there's also the questions, I'm sure you'll get into this next week, about the long-term reliability and uh, performance of that aluminum. You know I mean? Yeah. Um, truck buyers are a notoriously picky bunch. And right. It'll be interesting to see how they respond to that uh, to that innovation. Yeah, uh, don't they make beer cans out of aluminum? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have some jokes, but I, in deference to my Ford friends, I try not to make them right now. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, that, that will be interesting because that really is uh, taking a gamble with a uh, yes. the, the franchise, the Ford. The Ford franchise. Hey, we are. Uh, uh, we have to pause for one more break here. Uh, but when we come back, I'd like to talk about what else uh, came out of the Detroit Auto Show and what you thought was significant and if there's anything coming up 
next week at the Chicago show. All right. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll take one more break. Please stay with us for when we come back with Patrick Olson of Cars.com. This is Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com. Back to Rick Popley. Welcome back to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks. My guest is Patrick Olson of Cars.com, and we've been discussing the new and redesigned vehicles for the 2014 model year. The Detroit Auto Show uh, ended about a week or so ago, and Patrick was there, I was there, and they in, uh, annually introduce a whole slew of new models. And this year, I don't think there was as many blockbusters, aside from the Ford F-150, as in previous years. How about you, Patrick? No, I think that's pretty accurate, Rick. I mean, the F-150 was really the 800-pound gorilla in the room, but there were a few cars that still stood out um, while we were there. Uh, What were those? Uh, Well, for one of us, I think the the Chrysler 200, you know, mm -hmm. I I think Chrysler has been fighting for a long time to have a midsize sedan that really pops in that space, and the new 200... Um, you know, it definitely looks much better. It's got a much more contemporary design. The old 200 um, and the Sebring from which it was sort of derived were both very tired looking mm-hmm. uh, inside and out. And I think the new one looks much better. It looks like a uh, a Dodge Dart uh, or sort of a grown-up Dodge Dart, uh, which I don't think is a bad thing. Now, the issue, of course, is we haven't driven it yet. And we loved the Dart inside and out until we actually drove it <laughs> to be kind of underpowered. Oh. Um, so I'm hoping that this one does not suffer from that problem. Mm-hmm. It's, it's related to the Dart, correct? Yes, I think there's some uh, platform sharing going on there, and uh, and it also comes from you know more of the European side of Fiat in terms of the the platform. Right. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it goes. They're hoping for good mileage out of it, but I know that sort of the aim for high MPG with the Dart is one of the reasons we found its performance underwhelming. Hmm. They seem to, uh, manufacturers in general seem to be tuning the transmissions to, uh, do well yeah. on the EPA tests, but then not so well in the driving. Yeah, and I'm, I'm interested to see how consumers respond to that. I know the Dart has not done as well as Chrysler had hoped it would do, but on the flip side, you know, there was a lot of politics and policy involved in, in the Dart design. It, if they could get a car that was 40 miles per gallon, it would allow Fiat to buy 5% more of Chrysler. And I suspect that that was the bigger goal for them than <laughs> a lot of sales. And, and no matter what, Dart is certainly outselling caliber of the car that it replaced. Right. Yeah. By the way, Fiat now owns uh, Chrysler in entirety. Yes. Yeah. So it's a uh, it's a new company based yeah. in the Netherlands. I, I <laughs> incorporated in Netherlands and based in London, I think something like yeah. that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Interesting. Very, uh, very international. Yes. Any other, any other significant introductions at uh, the Detroit Auto Show? There you? were a couple. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. It wasn't, it wasn't the biggest blockbuster one, but the C class from Mercedes, mm-hmm. um, huge step up. You know, we thought uh, a lot of great new technology, um, great interior quality. One of our uh, reviewers, Aaron Bragman, our Detroit bureau chief, uh, thought that it was S class sort of competitive in uh, terms of its interior quality. Whoa. And just a ton of new tech um, from Mercedes. And the C class was definitely dated. We tested it against the BMW 3 Series and the A3 and a few others back in March of last year. It performed poorly across the board, and I think they're definitely wanting to you know, step it up and make it a lot more competitive. Now they've added the CLA for the low end of that price point. You know, now the C class is going to aim higher, I think. The CLA is the one that starts at 30000 Yes, yes. It, I, I don't know that one, anyone will actually get it for that price, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, that's but, the idea. But there. it looks yeah. good in, in commercials. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It sure does. <laughs> but, and then finally, kind of an oddball one that we liked that is definitely not a huge seller, though, is the Honda Fit. Mm. You know, it, it got bigger. Um, it actually, the exterior dimensions hardly changed. There's a little bit in, in, in both length and width and height. Just a little bit, but inside it got a lot more interior space. And we've always liked that car for how utilitarian it is. And now they have what they call the magic seat in the second row that sort of folds up and allows you to put a lot of stuff in there. And um, it may not be a huge seller, but we just thought it's a it's a clever car. Uh, it does reasonably well at gas mileage and is you know certainly distinctive looking. 
Mm-hmm. That uh, that car does have an amazing amount of space for for its exterior dimensions. Oh, absolutely, and 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 we've driven it. And one of the nice things for Honda is they've always made it very peppy. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of cars in that class, you want to sort of do the Fred Flintstone, open the door, and you know, kick your feet on the ground to get it going. <laughs> and uh, that that car's got some pep in it, and it does really well. Now, if I'm not mistaken, the the fit has been imported from Japan, and there was an a uh, availability issue here in the U.S., according to Honda at least, and uh, yep. the new one will be built in Mexico, and the supply should be greater. Yeah, and I think that they've definitely seen, you know, um, the subcompacts, subcompacts have not done great compared to, like, the compact class. Uh, worldwide is the biggest selling class. Um, you know, in right. the U.S., it's really the midsize, but worldwide, the compacts have done very well. But I think they, they think if they can nail this, they could sway some people, particularly on the low end. You know, and if you look at millennials, people said, well, they don't like, they don't like to drive. I think the reality is they didn't have the money to drive. They've got all this massive college that they're trying to pay off. And so mm-hmm. if you can improve so that these entry-level cars aren't run-of-the-mill econo boxes and, and they've got something going for them, I think they might uh, might find a surprise winner there. Speaking of subcompacts, uh, I drove a Ford Fiesta that had a price sticker of $21,000. So <laughs> it was the titanium model, which is the most expensive, but that's the one that, you know, it was uh, available to me, and you look at that and say, "Really? Yeah, you, you no, pay, you're going to pay twenty one grand for a subcompact." You know, did it come with a driver, Rick? I mean, no, uh, no, you know. almost. But uh, hey, one of the uh, uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you about is that uh, sure. is that you buy uh, you have some long term test vehicles that you may keep for I don't know up to a year, but you buy these vehicles, correct? That's right. So what we started doing in just a little more than a year ago was we started buying our best of car. Mm-hmm. Um, so last year we bought a Subaru BRZ. We've we've taken possession now and, and purchased a Chevy Impala. But then we always buy a second car as something um, in a competitive class. We have a Civic that we're actually trying to sell starting right about now that we've had for a year. And what we do is we uh, go through the whole purchase process and we keep our identity quiet through that process. So they know that we're actually buying for our parent company and not for cars.com so mm. we don't want to we don't want to skew the purchase process there but allows us to you know live with this thing for a year and that's sort of putting our money where our mouth is right if we say this is the best of how does it hold up for a year i see and 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 you're talking about uh let's see if you bought a civic in 2013 uh that was the second model year but you significantly revised and you're buying now just bought an impala yeah. So you're you're uh, uh, going after high demand cars where there's not likely to be a lot of discounts, correct? Well, so we've had some interesting experiences that way. So we bought last year in November of 2012. We bought the Subaru BRZ. Mm-hmm. Incredible demand for that. Oh, jeez. Yeah, it was. <laughs> How long um, was the line outside the dealership? <laughs> well, we we found one car in the area uh. and we swooped on it and we paid sticker. We didn't get anything uh. off of it at all. Um, but on the flip side, the Impala, which is very new, but not in a very competitive class, full-size cars not being as, as competitive as, say, midsize, we actually got a pretty good deal. We got it about, I believe, 13% off of the MSRP. Hmm. So it was we paid 32 two and change for a car that was stickered at 35 plus. What can you uh, advise or suggest to consumers who are shopping for a new model like that that's, uh, you know, that's new and in high demand? Well, if it, if there's something that's really popular and you really want it, you're really going to pay for it, you know. Um, but I think there's a few tricks that are still useful to people is, one, you know, when you go to the dealership, uh, don't make the deal the first time you're there. You know, show some reluctance and, and make them earn your business. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a bad idea to go towards the end of the month. A lot of these salespeople get a spiff, uh, get a reward for hitting a certain sales number. And when you're going to help them at the end of the month get that, um, you know, we've at least anecdotally been told, from dealers and shoppers both that they get that. And frankly, in Chicago right now, go when it's miserable outside <laughs> because there's nobody else in the dealership but you. And car sales have, you know, they've eased. They haven't slumped, right. but they've definitely eased in this weather. And you will look like the salesperson's best friend. I, I see. <laughs> so, and uh, my advice uh, to consumers that instead of being the first in line to buy that new model, is yeah. to wait, you know, maybe maybe even to the second model year because the line uh, of people who want that uh, vehicle gets shorter and the prices may come down. What do you what do you think of that? 
I think both of those are good. And the third thing is that typically anytime there's a brand new model, and the, uh, the uh, Jeep Cherokee is a good example, mm-hmm. they're likely to have some issues in that first year. Right. You know, and you can let someone else, you know, let someone else take the headaches for that first year and wait for the second year when they've uh, when they've sort of figured it out and they've tuned up the line and uh, things are working better. Yeah, I think uh, the the thing is when it comes to buying a new vehicle, better things come to those who wait. You know, yeah. on that. But but you know what? It, it also seems like uh, y- you see this with electronics in particular, uh, uh, phones and stuff like this. That people want the newest thing. It's the highest risk, maybe. Right. But that's what they want, isn't it? It's it's undeniably true. I was out in Los Angeles where there is this, and I'm from there originally, and there is this belief out there that, you know, don't, whatever you do, don't buy a car that doesn't look like the newest version of that car. And it's it's an irrational, and of course there's so much in Southern California is based around the car culture of wanting to have, you know, flashy new cars. Mm-hmm. But it's almost irrational, the desire to have the newest car as opposed to, Buy used, you know, buy something at the end of a generation when there's a new generation, you're likely to get a pretty good deal on that. Um, no, no, for these guys in L.A., they're like, I need something that's probably well beyond my ability to afford it, and it's got to be the newest car out there. I see. So that's just like the latest cell phone. Yeah, exactly right, except about uh, 100,000 times as expensive. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and what's ironic is that in California, that new car will probably last 20 years because of the weather right. and roads. So, yep. well. well, Patrick, thank you very much for taking time here to talk about uh, what's new in the world of uh, wheels and, and what's going on at cars.com. Well, Rick, thanks so much for having me on. Enjoyed you uh, being on the show. Take care. You too. Bye. All right. That was Patrick Olson, the editor-in-chief of Cars.com, where you can find a wealth of information about new and used vehicles, shopping advice, and more. And that is about all the time we have for this week's episode of Cars, Trucks, and Bucks. Next week, we will talk about the 2015 Ford F-150, a truly revolutionary redesign of the best-selling vehicle in the U.S. Ford is rolling the dice for the next F-150, giving it an aluminum alloy body that will slice up to 700 pounds off the truck, making it one of the biggest losers in automotive history. We will be interviewing Pete Reyes, the chief engineer of the 2015 F-150, as well as Richard Truitt, a reporter for trade publication Automotive News, who has done a lot of research on the new truck. Richard will discuss the benefits of new F-150's design, as well as some of the risks Ford is taking and what this new truck will mean for competitors like General Motors and the Dodge Ram. That's next week on Cars, Trucks, and Bucks here on Talk Zone Radio. Until then, please visit my website, carstrucksandbucks.com. And thanks again to today's guest, Patrick Olson of Cars.com, and to my producer, Dave Olson. And thanks to you for listening. This is Rick Popley saying be careful out there and watch out for the other guy. So long, everyone.